Everyone happy to see the coffee machine working again? Back. It's got a new spot. Uh, and it's probably not going to go anywhere now because they would have to take everything with them, including the bench. So good luck to them if they want that. So, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, so I was going to say something else. I can't remember what it was. Uh, well, we're going to preach. Does that sound good? And if I remember what I was going to say, I'll... I'll say it later. Who remembers what our theme is at the moment? Anyone want to risk it? Any, anyone? Is that, what is it, Jackson? Yeah, that's part of it, yeah. Deeper and stronger. We're talking about at the moment, our theme is to grow deeper in our relationship with God and in doing so we strengthen our faith. And... If you remember, I used the analogy of the tree and the Bible talks about in Isaiah 61 and in Psalm 1, it compares our lives to that of a tree. And we all know that a, a strong tree, a, a tree that is strong and healthy and a tree that can withstand the storm is a tree that has deep roots, roots that go deep into the ground. Uh, and when they go deep, into the ground, it, it doesn't matter what storm or wind comes against them, they will stand strong. It's only those trees with shallow roots that will be blown over in the wind. And so God's challenging us this year to grow deeper with him, to deepen our roots in him. And we talked about the fact that we do that by deepening into his word, getting to know his word more. We threw out the challenge last week of the 90 days of reading your Bible. I don't know how anyone's going with that. I'm not going to ask. But uh, it's a challenge, and, uh, but to read your Bible regularly and get his word into us. We talked about fellowship being such a significant way that God deepens our roots. Just like trees are best when they're in forests, we are best when we're in community and in the body of Christ. And the last thing we talked about is prayer. And today I really feel God wants us to have a deeper look at prayer. Because I believe God is bringing us into a season as a church to pray again like we never have before. And so I'm going to share today about the power of prayer to deepen our roots. And in, before I do that, let's pray and ask God to bless his word. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I just bring everything that you've put on my heart to you right now. And I pray that you go before me that they're not my words, but they're your words, and that you would speak into all of our hearts, including my own, and that you would transform us by your word. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for us to understand how prayer deepens our roots, I've got two things I want to share with you today. And the first thing I want to share about prayer is that prayer always begins with God. Now, you might say to me, of course it does, Ben. We say, dear God, or our Father. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not the fact of what we do, but it's about the fact of what God do, do, <laughs> does, what God does. And um, the fact is, God, and this might challenge some of us, but God always speaks first. God is always moving first. God is always working first. And the, what we need to understand is we don't start prayer. Now, this is a challenge for us because even for me, 
in the church I grew up with, we were always taught to pray. And we were taught that when we pray, we get God's attention. Anyone relate to that? That, that it's our responsibility as good Christians to pray and, and ask God and, and reach out to God and to seek God and to earnestly chase after him because he, it's almost like he is not paying attention. But the reality is God is always paying attention. God is always speaking. God is always moving. God is not waiting for us to make a move. He makes the first move. And the, the idea and the, the picture that I have of this is parents with kids. Now, many years ago when one of my sons, I won't name him, um, but he's the only one here today, but... Um, <laughs> But we were changing the, the pipes, the plumbing pipes in our house, and we were changing them from the old ones, the iron ones, to copper. And, and I had a plumber friend around helping us do it. And uh, both myself and the plumber, he'd, he'd join the pipes together and use the welder and whatever. I don't know how he did it, but it, it worked. And, um, and we said to this son, um, don't touch the pipes. And we were busy doing stuff, and all of a sudden we heard my son crying out, Ah, Dad, Dad. And I'm like, what's... Oh, he touched the pipe. And it's like, who talked to him first? I did, told him not to touch the pipe, but he wasn't listening, and all of a sudden he re received the consequences of not listening and touched the pipe, and then he was crying out to me, Dad, Dad, help me, help me. Isn't that a bit like us? We do life, we do life how we think we should do it. We get about doing our stuff and half the time we get distracted by so many things and then we get into trouble and we go, God, help me, where are you when I need you? When we don't realise God has been speaking to us the whole time. He's laid down his ways in the word. He's shown us his ways in who he is, but we aren't listening. We aren't paying attention. See, the thing we need to understand by this idea that it always begins with God is that we are always on God's mind. It's not about us reaching out to him and our prayers being us getting his attention, but our prayers are actually hearing what he is saying and acknowledging what he is doing. Because the God we serve is a known God. Sometimes we think he's an unknown God and we've got to find out who he is. But God has made himself or revealed himself to us since the beginning of time. If you go back to the very first three verses of the Bible, the first statement of the Bible, it shows that we serve a God who wants to be known and wants us to know who he is. Let's have a look at it. Genesis 1. Verses 1 to 3, where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. The first thing God reveals to us about himself in his word is that he is a God who speaks. And he's not just a God who speaks for the sake of speaking, but he speaks with purpose. 
And in, the, in our passage, we see this incredible thing about God is that we, we discover that speaking is all about relationship. And the reason God speaks is because he wants to have relationship with us. And, and this hasn't changed since this day. Because when God spoke into the darkness, into the emptiness, into the void, he brought light and clarity. And what was his purpose for doing it? To create a space where we could have relationship with him. This is the interesting thing that the Bible teaches us, is that God spoke into our existence long before we even existed. Think about that for a moment. God was speaking into our existence. He was creating a place for us to dwell. He was creating a space where we could walk with him. And he did that long before he even created us. See, God was moving and working long before we even realize. This is the principle that God puts in place when it comes to prayer, that it always begins with him. God was speaking and acting long before we even began to cry out to him. Prayer always begins with God. And our prayers, our prayers should always be a response to a God who is always speaking and always acting and always working. Which makes me ask you the question, what is our response? Are we like Jack, crying out, Dad, help me, help me, where were you when I needed you? Or are we going, God, what are you doing in this situation? I don't, ex- I don't understand what's happening, but I understand you're the God who works and acts and does and speaks. So help me to listen to you. Help me to hear your voice. Help me to see what you're doing in spite of everything that's happening around me. You see, God's word always precedes our words to him. He speaks even before we speak to him. And now this is, if, you, if you're going, I'm not quite sure about this, Ben, you see this narrative throughout the Bible. God came to Abraham and spoke to him and gave him a promise. God came to Moses when he was in the wilderness and spoke to him. Throughout the Old Testament, when the children of Israel went astray, God would come and draw them back to him. And and this happens time and time again. And so we need to understand that he saw us long before we ever even thought about seeking him. And what's essential about prayer is not how we express ourselves so that we can get God's attention, but rather how we can learn to listen to God and then answer what he is saying to us. One of the most powerful scriptures about prayer in the Bible, I believe, is Hebrews 11 verse 6. And it says there, And without faith it is impossible to please God, but anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now I was taught this prayer, this verse, many years ago, and the focus for me was always about me when I read this prayer. And the focus was that if I earnestly seek God, 
he will reward me with what I need. Does anyone relate to that? That I read this and so for many, many years I thought, I just got to earnestly seek God. I got to work really hard at seeking God. I got to pray and pray and pray and seek God with all my heart and then he will reward me. Which there's truth in that, but this passage, what it tells us, if we read it in context and in, in, as it's speaking, is that it says that without faith it is impossible to please God because it says anyone who comes to him must what? Must believe. So the first thing we must do is we must believe. Now, it goes on to say because, let me say this, believing is not enough because even the Bible tells us even the demons believe in God. So believing's not enough. And then it goes, and, that, and believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So the idea is that we not just believe in him, but we believe in who he is. Do you hear that? It's not that we just believe in him, but we believe in who he is. Who is he? He is a God who rewards those who seek him. What's he saying in his Bible? He says very clearly in the Bible, he says, if you seek me, you will find me. God is not hiding. God has never been hiding. It's not about us earnestly seeking him to, to find him because he's playing hide and seek with us. No, we, we seek him because we know who he is. He is a God who rewards those who seek him. As I was thinking about this, I, I was trying to think of a way I could explain it even further. And the simplest way I can explain it is when you fall in love. Has anyone ever been in love here? One or two? If you're married, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Once upon a time. Um, I remember when, when I fell in love with the lovely Julie. Um, you didn't have to ask me to earnestly seek for her. Does that make sense? I wanted to be with her because I loved who she was. And I still love who she is today. But I loved who she was. And, and so it wasn't like I was sort of chasing after her. Give me attention, Julie. Give me attention. It, <laughs> <laughs> I missed you, Joyce. <laughs> but I, I, I just wanted to be with her every moment of the day. Because I knew who she was and I loved who she was. And this is what God is saying is, is if you understand that I'm a God who rewards, that I'm a God who is acting and working and moving and talking and speaking on your behalf, then you, when you seek me, you understand that you will find me and you will experience the reward that I have. It's all about knowing who God is and from our knowledge of who he is, we respond. So when we know that God is always speaking, that God, prayer starts with God first, then we come to him with that attitude. We come to him with that idea that I serve a God who loves me, who wants 
the best for me, who's speaking to me, who's working on my behalf even before I realise. He spoke everything into existence before I even existed. And so I come to him with that attitude, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying? And help me to listen and respond as I should. The second thing we learn about prayer is that prayer transforms us. It transforms our lives. I, I read this quote the other week that's from Eugene Peterson that says, prayers are not tools for doing and getting, but for being and becoming. We have to change the way we look at prayer. It's not about us doing, it's not about us getting, but it's us, about us being and becoming who God created us to be. Prayer is all about relationship. And when we take the time to pray and have relationship with God, we are being and becoming everything God created us to be. We are being and becoming his children. Prayer is all about giving God the time to make something of our lives. If you don't give God the time, how can he ever make something of your life? And prayer is all about giving God the time to make something of our lives. Now the greatest example we have of this is Jesus. Jesus himself showed us the importance of prayer. I share with you a bunch of scriptures. Mark 1.35, when Jesus walked this earth, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 5, 15 to 17, yet the news of him, that's Jesus, spread all, all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But often, Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6, 12, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. There are even more passages that you can find that show us that the cornerstone of Jesus' life while he was here on earth was prayer. And his relationship with God the Father was fueled by prayer. And it's as if Jesus is modeling to us and, and, and showing us that it doesn't matter who you are, prayer needs to be an essential part of your life. As simple as it can be is if Jesus, the Son of God, needed to pray, then it makes sense that we also need to pray. Amen? Now, I believe, and you might question me on this, but I believe Jesus was able to be and to become who he was, the saviour of the world, because of his prayer life, because of his relationship with the Father. I'll give you an example of this. When Jesus prayed in the garden before his crucifixion, he said those powerful words, not my will be done, but yours be done. Now you think about it, at that moment, before that, he talks about God, and it talks about him sweating blood because he was so anxious and so stressed about this situation. 
that he was saying, if you could take this cup from me, do if if there's anything else that could like take it. But then at the end of it, he says, but not my will be done, but yours. Now, if, if you understand this, I believe he was able to pray like this because of his faith in the God he knew. And he knew the God he knew was the God he knew was able to make something out of nothing. I want to take you back to Genesis 1 because for the Jews, Genesis 1 was the beginning of everything. And so when the Jews prayed, they prayed in accordance with Genesis 1. Does anyone know when the Jewish day starts? Anyone got any idea? I've told some people. It actually starts at sunset, which is very unusual for us Westerners. Because we think that, when do we think the day starts? When we get up out of bed, isn't that right? I'm out of bed, new day, new start, new beginning. But to the Jews, the day began at sunset. Now, for us to understand this, we need to understand, go back to Genesis 1. Because to the Jews, everything began when God hovered over the darkness when God began to speak over the darkness. And the God they served was the God who was able to make something out of nothing. The God they served was the God who could take the darkness and the emptiness and bring life and light to it. And so when the Jews, when the day started, when it became dark, and so when it was dark, they realised, okay, it's time for me to take a rest time to me for take a break it's time for me to go to sleep and it's time for God to get to work and so I'm handing my life over into God's hands and I'm resting in him and I'm sleeping while he gets to work of bringing form to the darkness and bringing life to the emptiness and ultimately bringing light in the morning to where it was dark. Do you get that? This is the God they served. And so when the Jews went to sleep, they went to sleep believing that God does his best work in the darkness. I'll say that again to you. The Jews went to sleep because they knew their God does his best work in the darkness. That means he is the one who brings light to the darkness. He is the one who brings form to where there is nothing and emptiness. And this is what happened. The, you could literally say the first resurrection in the Bible is Genesis 1, where God brought life to that which was empty. And so when Jesus prayed those words, when he was facing the biggest obstacle of his life, when he was when he was um, facing the darkest moment he could ever face, the crucifixion and everything that was before him, he said those powerful words, not my will be done but yours, because he understood his God does his best work when it is dark. And out of the darkness of his situation, out of the darkness of death, out of the darkness of him being separated from the Father. 
the Father brought life and resurrected him and saved the world. This is the God we serve. He, Jesus shows us that our response in prayer is to respond to who he is. But when we do, when we understand our God is the God who, who does his best work in the darkness, when we face our dark times, how do we look at them? Do we cry out and say, God, save me? Or we say, God, get to work. Do what only you can do. I put my trust in you and not my will but yours be done because I know who you are. What an incredible lesson for us to learn. That our darkest times are not when we need to plead to God to save us, but rather they are times when we know that he is working on our behalf. And so we answer him by placing our lives in his hands, resting in him, maybe going to sleep in the boat when there's a storm all around us, understanding that he is the one who brings light to darkness and life to that which was dead. Now, the, the greatest example I have of someone who prays in my life, as you all know, would be my mum. Because her posture in prayer was always and has always been about answering God. Because she knew a God who came to her in the darkest period of her life and he brought light and clarity and life. And in that moment, she realised for the rest of her life that no matter what she went through, she had the God who saved her out of that could save her out of anything. And so I want to... I know many of us have probably heard my mum's story before, but I want to share it again today as an encouragement to you of what is possible when we pray. Now, I have to start at the beginning, which my mum came to Australia when she was about 17, 18 and uh, came with her sister to live. And while she was here, she met this young, young Italian man, fell in love, and got married to him. Now, what seemed to be a dream quickly became a nightmare for her. Not long after they got married, she discovered he had a gambling problem, that he was involved in some stuff that wasn't so exciting, and that he had a bit of a wandering eye when it came to the ladies and uh, sadly things didn't go great I remember my uncle telling me a story one day because from time to time my dad would just disappear off the scene he told me one day I, I, I wasn't born at this stage I'm the youngest of five and uh, she had three kids at that point and um, they they were living in Canberra. My dad was working on the Snowy Mountain Scheme as a carpenter. And all of a sudden, he just disappeared. She and he left her with three kids under three, all by herself. Now, she's, she hardly spoke English. She was on her own. So my uncle had to fly from, from Adelaide, rescue her, bring her back to Adelaide. And my dad showed up some, like, six months later with no money, used it all up, and they had to live with his parents and so forth. That's the sort of thing that happened. 
And whenever my mum would challenge my dad about different things, whether it was gambling or, or women that he was messing around with, he usually responded by giving her a flogging, giving her a beating. And, uh, and sometimes, on occasions, she even ended up in hospital. And the rea- that was the reality of her life. And the thing about my mum is that she was a good Catholic girl back then. And she thought, i just got to make good with what's happening. And so she just went about life. She had more kids and I was born. And, and so she was raising five kids on her own. And eventually my dad ran off with one of the women he played around with and, and left my mum with five kids on her own. And it was a dark time for her. That was her darkest moment. Everything fell apart for her because she was an Italian woman, Catholic Italian. You never divorced your husband. You never did anything like this. And so her life fell apart. She, has, she actually went into hospital for a time because she couldn't cope. And us kids got palmed out to different relatives. And then finally we all got back together and we were living in a two-bedroom unit in Paynham, uh, five kids so me and my brother in one room my sister and my sisters and my mum in the other and a German shepherd dog and uh, that was our life and and we try she was trying to make something of her life now without my dad around and one day a lady came and knocked on her front door sent by a friend of hers and this lady started to share with her about Jesus And when my mum started to hear about Jesus and discover who Jesus was, she she grew up Catholic, but she'd never heard about Jesus. She'd heard a lot about Mary. She'd heard a lot about uh, St. Anthony, the patron saint of her family, but she'd never heard about Jesus. And she fell in love with him at that point. Her life was transformed. She was introduced to Jesus and everything changed. So he came into her dark place and transformed it to life. From that moment on, her life turned around. She discovered her purpose. She discovered her true identity, that her real, her real value and purpose in life was to have a relationship with Jesus and that her, she was no longer a victim anymore to her circumstances, but her purpose was to know Jesus and to teach her children to know Jesus. And this is it, like some 48 years later, I stand here because of that decision she made. My brothers and sisters are all following Christ because of that decision she made. Many of her grandchildren are following Christ because of that decision she made. And because of what she discovered, she discovered a God who could take darkness and turn it into light. A God who does his best work in the darkness. And this is the thing about her. She lived her life from that point on. Now, to understand the radical change that happened in her life, the flat or the apartment we were staying in belonged to her brother, my uncle. And when he discovered she changed religion because she decided to go to a different church, he kicked us out. He didn't even have the guts to do it himself. He sent his wife to do it, which was pretty bad. But, uh, but he kicked us out. So we were out with nowhere to live. And thankfully the church we were in helped us find somewhere to, to live. 
And uh, but I was talking to her yesterday, and she was saying, you know, "God never let me down once. Every moment of the way, and and her life didn't fall apart when we were homeless. She she just knew that God would work it out, that God worked in her life already, and He would do it again. He just got to trust Him. You just got to listen to Him. You just got to do what He's asking you to do. And so we found a place. We ended up getting a housing trust place, which she um, got somehow, miraculously, out of nowhere, because you know how long it takes to get one. And we lived in that house for most of my childhood, for about over 20-odd years. And the incredible thing is that even, this is how much her life turned around, and God brought clarity and form to it. She's a single mum, five kids, very little money, worked odd jobs, was on a widow's pension back then, at some point, she said to God, I'd like to own this house one day. be great if I could, if it's your will. And then within you know, the next period of time, she had the opportunity to buy the house. And it's crazy how God works, but she got paid some compensation for a, an injury that she never expected. And that was enough for her to put a deposit on a home and as a single mum to own a house. You see, when we put our life in God's hands and we understand that he's the God who speaks first and that he is moving and working for us and our job is to trust him in our darkness and in our pain and wherever we are, he transforms that into life. And that's my mum's experience. And uh, she, she did this time and time again. And, and you, you talk to her, all of you have probably talked to her. She, she would say... Things like, I have Jesus, what else do I need? It's, it's just how it works. And the thing that resonated with me the most as a child is her prayer life. You know, as a child leaving for school in the mornings, if I was leaving and I was a bit late and mum had already got on her knees beside her bed, there was no interrupting her. There's just no way you could stop because she was praying to her Jesus and that was it. So you just like thought, all right, I'll just go to school. Maybe I won't have lunch, who knows, but I'll just go to school. <laughs> but uh, it just was the way. It's, um, and, and we would often tease her about getting remarried. We say, why don't you get remarried, mum? Find a nice Christian man. And, get, and she goes, why do I need a husband? i got Jesus. What do I need a husband for? It's, husbands are no good. <laughs> but, uh, but she learned from the beginning that God was working in her life long before she was ever introduced to him. And her prayer life was a response to that, it was always a response and an answer to God for the grace that he had given her. And this is our challenge, church, at this time when God is calling us to pray, that we don't just pray and say, God, help me, help me, help me, but we say, God, what are you doing? You're the God who turns darkness to light. Help me trust you in this process. Help me to rest in you. Help me to believe in who you are, not just what I need. You know, the scripture I shared a few weeks ago from Isaiah 61 is really a great summary for my mum's life. It's Isaiah 61, and I've paraphrased it to fit in with her. 
But it says, I say there, he has given her beauty for ashes. Her life was in ashes, was desolate, but he brought, has brought great beauty to her life. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And she is called a tree of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. So that he may be glorified by her life lived in him. And that's God's call to all of us, church. Not just my mum, but each one of us. And I look across this room and I know there's story after story after story of people whose life was ashes and God's transformed it. Can I encourage you as we step into a, a season of prayer to remind yourself of what God has transformed you from. And if he's done it once, he can do it again and again and again, no matter how dark the situation might be that you're facing. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you are a God who is always speaking, always working and always moving on our behalves. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to rest in the knowledge that you are a God who brings light to darkness, a God who brings life to where there was nothingness and emptiness. And God, I pray that we would rest in that, that we would have a revelation of who you are and respond appropriately. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.